we left Kibera and the next morning we drove to our safari. Um, and we saw that most of the Kenyan population, even though they're more spread out, they live, live in levels of poverty similar, similar to that. <coughs> but when we got to our safari camp, it was like another world. Um, it, was, it was five star accommodation, it was five star food, it was six star, six star service. And it made it very easy to forget what was going on just up the road. And the safari camp reminded me of Australia. Because here in Australia, we live in a kind of isolation and oblivion to what 50% of the rest of the world does. And so this morning, I just want to present that as a little bit of a backdrop to the passages that we want to look at this morning. Um, Because uh, here we have a parable about a group of people that were actually totally oblivious to the seriousness of their surrounding situation. (coughs) Jesus had entered Jerusalem on the way to the cross. um, And um, in this part of uh, Mark, uh, all the passages fit together and it's all part of a, a, a period of time over just a few days. Um, and uh, at the temple, he's challenged by the chief priests and the scribes and so he speaks to them in parables. And uh, it says, a man planted a vineyard and um, As we read through this, we, we know that the vineyard, as Sal um, sort of in the kids addressed, uh, the man is God, and he's established his vineyard. That's his chosen people. <clears throat> Here he's primarily talking about Israel, uh, but by inference this extends to all believers. And he put a fence around it, and he dug a pit for the wine press, and he built a tower, and he leased it to tenants, and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants, to get from them some fruit of the vineyard. And uh, this would mean fruit of worship to God. And they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, um, servants of the prophets, by the way, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another and him they killed and so with many others. Some they beat and some they killed. He still, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. And you know the son's Jesus, right? But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. And here Jesus foreshadows his death where they killed him on a cross outside the city. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Notice that God doesn't destroy the vineyard. He won't destroy his chosen people. He'll take away the vineyard from the leaders of Israel. He'll destroy them and he'll give it to others. So Jesus quotes Psalm 118 to them, when he says, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. The stone, of course, is talking about Jesus. 
the builders, the leaders of Israel, the very people that Jesus was talking to. And the building is the church. You know, when you see a bricky at work, remember when we built our house and we've got irregular shaped bricks and the brickies, they get the bricks brought to them and they pick them up and they put them on and every now and again they get a brick and they roll it over and they, they don't like it, it just doesn't fit, so they chuck it. And I kind of get that vision here of a stone, just a, just a stone that the builders rejected. It just didn't seem to fit. <clears throat> so they threw it away. But it became the cornerstone. <clears throat> and tragically, um, for the leaders of Israel, they tossed aside Jesus, the most important stone in the whole church. We're part of his body, but they threw away the most precious stone. This um, psalm, in, even in Jesus' time, was known to be a psalm about the Messiah. Peter quotes it in Acts 4.11 when he says, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the Bible, it talks a lot about Jesus being the cornerstone, about justice being the line, and righteousness being the plumb line. These are all building terms. <clears throat> the building's the church. And the church that is those that God saves can only exist because of Jesus. And the interesting part about this, I find, is that it, it's actually through their rejection of Jesus that he becomes the cornerstone, that he becomes the most important one. This rejection culminates in him being nailed to a cross outside Jerusalem. And they must have felt so good when they finally got rid of him. They must have felt so like, wow, this is good. Finally, we can get back to business. But little did they know that as they killed him, this Jesus who lived a sinless life died with the weight of our sin and the sin of all of creation on his shoulders. But for those that are being saved, it's marvellous in, in our eyes. Um, these particular Pharisees, not all of the Pharisees rejected Jesus, um, but these Pharisees, blinded by hatred, they actually knew that Jesus had told the parable against them. And tragically, rather than repent and turn to God and have faith in Jesus, they left in anger and they went away. Now, it's interesting what brings people together. There's lots of sun songs that say love will bind us together, love will bring us together. But sometimes it can be hatred that will bring people together for a common cause. <clears throat> Here, the Pharisees and the Herodians concocted a plan. These two groups yep, these two groups were very different in their beliefs. Pharisees were on the side of the Jews 
but the Herodians were in with the Romans. Pharisees were narrow, conservative, right-wing Judaism, but the Herodians were ultra-liberal, blended, left-wing. The Pharisees were resistant to Rome, the Herodians accommodated Rome. But together, they both wanted him dead. So together they formulated the perfect question. They came to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. They are really trying to butter him up, weren't they? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, if he said, pay them, the Jews would have hated him. But if he said, don't pay them, the Romans would have killed him for treason. It was a fail-safe plan, a perfect trap. They were confident. And even if Jesus kept silent, it would not work for this question. The irony was that Jesus always did speak the truth and his answer would speak it exactly. Uh, Verse 15 says, But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. And they brought it. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. So a denarii is a day's wages. And it had the inscription of Caesar. And in ancient times, an image or or an inscription on an object showed ownership, no matter who was in possession of it. And since the Roman emperor also viewed himself as God, some some of the Jews objected to paying taxes with Roman money, as they called that idolatry. Let alone the hatred they felt towards the Roman rule. So Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And if he had stopped at that point, the Jews would have been in an uproar. But he continues and he says, and to God, the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What had Jesus just done? He wasn't exactly clear about what belongs to either Caesar or God. He left it open, but we can work it out. Obviously, give to Caesar what he's owed. Yes, pay the taxes. But Jesus adds height to the bar. He always does, doesn't he? Just like as he raised lust to adultery. Uh, Hate to murder. Jesus says, um, what belongs to God? Give him that. Everything belongs to God, including Caesar. Jesus is saying the same thing that he told Pilate. Caesar's authority is only there because God's given it to him. So when we object to paying our taxes, and I must admit I have been known to do that, why do we do that? It's not because we are submitting to God's supreme authority. It's because we want the money and the authority for ourselves. 
We want ownership. It's because we fail to see that everything already belongs to God and he's in control of it. Later on in this chapter, we see a widow with a wonderful, wonderful heart attitude to God. The widow who put in two copper coins, which incidentally was only one sixty-fourth of the value of the denarii that Jesus held in his hand, giving everything that she had to live on. So, should Christians pay their taxes even when the government is a tyrannical dictatorship? Well, Jesus said yes, because Caesar was. Are there limitations to obedience to government? Yes, there's limitations. We don't obey authorities when it means disobedience to God. Now keep this in context though. Peter and the apostles got dragged before the authorities for spreading the gospel. And when they were released, they went back and they did the very same thing. Saying that we must obey God rather than men. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to worship their earthly ruler but would worship God alone even if it meant their death. Over the years, there's been quite a few people who've used, the descript- have used scripture to disobey the law of the land. And um, I can think quite recently during COVID, some churches defied the government's order to stop meeting um, because of the good health of the nation. And personally, I think they did that more out of a need to rebel than a will to honour God. Sometimes, sinfully, We just want to say to the government, you can't tell me what to do. I think we need to balance this with the words of Paul in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to ruling authorities, for every authority has been instituted by God. And then at the end of that chapter he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Be careful that your objection to authority is not just a means of satisfying our sinful rebellion. In conclusion today, the question that Jesus asks, whose inscription is on this coin, also has a deeper meaning. If we are made in the image and likeness of God, whose inscription is on our hearts? Is it God's? The only way that this is possible is through the stone that the builders rejected. It's to have faith in him. We have all rejected that image, being sinful, even at birth. But as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, he had just one thing on his mind. He was heading towards the cross. He knew that the tenants would kill the son. But in love for us, he went to the cross to pay for our every sin. I think the message today is not to be oblivious to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Let's responsibly shepherd the flock towards trusting in Christ, the cornerstone, for the forgiveness of our sins.
let's use our money and resources in honouring God and remembering that through Christ he has his inscription on our hearts. And he does this by his Holy Spirit. And so as I, re- I reflect on our trip to Kenya, I have to say, you know, when you first go there, you've got all the answers. But then the longer you spend there, you realise that you actually don't. <clears throat> Especially in, in human ways, at least. In most places, Western influence has created more as many problems as that it's solved. In the last few days there, we visited a Presbyterian church and um, this church there was about 80 English speaking, it was an English speaking service, there was about 80 people there, it was kind of, wouldn't have been half full. Um, uh, but then in the Swahili service that was followed, it was, it was absolutely packed. Um, it was great. I spoke to one of the elders afterwards, like it was kind of in between the service and we had a cup of tea and, and their biscuit is a, is a slice of bread. Um, and I said to him you know talking at length and I said what's the biggest problem that you have here and I didn't kind of say here in this church or here in this thing I just said here what's your your biggest problem and he named two specifically Um, one was idle time there's too many people unemployed sitting around with nothing to do and this creates problems Uh, and the other problem uh, the, the biggest problem that he said and he named it first um, and we were at this point we were at the beach we were in the, in the tourist strip um, and, and he named that the biggest problem was tourism <clears throat> I thought wow but doesn't tourism bring money in lots of money but his perspective was that the wealthy tourist dollar that they clamoured for brought problems. It brought greed, it brought idolatry, it brought prostitution, and so on. What we did notice in that country was a big hunger for scripture. Um, there's a massive influence of Christianity there, and, and there's a real range of, of, of um, theologies. Um, but there's, there's still a real hunger to be told about the things of God. And um, if there's anything that we need to do for these guys is pray. And, and personally I'm going to put before the elders some ways that we can physically help these guys and I'd like to present them to you in the weeks to come of, of how we can um, give some help to orphanages and schools and stuff. Um, but the main thing we need to do is pray. Because these people too need the Jesus, the cornerstone, even more than they need hygiene and food. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your gospel. Thank you, Father, for dying for us even when we we're rejecting you. Father, as we, as we contemplate the seriousness of that, but the wonderful grace that you give us, Father, I pray that 
you would ignite in us the fire of your Holy Spirit to help us to, to share that grace with others and, and to live our lives in true worship to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.